0: Good morning. It's good to see you out today. I'm excited about this message. Uh, go ahead and turn to Esther chapter four. Uh, I believe this is really going to be something that is definitive about who we're to become and what the Lord wants to do. I had a young lady at one of the teenagers said, "Did you uh, come here basically on purpose, or did you just want any church?" Uh, so I, lo- I love kids because they're honest. And they're straightforward. And, and what I said to her is, was absolutely true. Uh, I believe, and and I felt that when I was here visiting and in talking with the leadership here, that God wants to do something through the bridge church. And and I as growing up in, in Fort Lauderdale, so guys, I get winter, man. I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. It will hit 50, it'll hit 50 degrees sometimes. So, so I understand winter. But but here's something you guys may not know about in Idaho, and that's surfing. <laughs> As a surfer, you got to catch the wave when you see the wave. You, you can't just say, well, I'll catch the next one. It may be a while. So you got to catch the wave when you see it coming. And I see a wave coming here that God is calling us to ride and to be a part of what he's doing. So let's go ahead and look in Esther chapter 4. I want to share this passage with you. Uh, go ahead and keep your Bibles open because I'm going to jump down a little later uh, in this chapter. But right now, Esther 4, 5 says... Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and to explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathach went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go into the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, she sent back, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Pray with me. Father God, we know that you are an an active God. You are a God that is moving, Lord. And you call us to be a part of your activity. Jesus said he did nothing except what he saw the Father doing. So help us, God, open our eyes so we can see your activity, Lord, and be a part of it. Lord, we want to we amass treasure, but even more, we want to reach souls, and we want to touch lives, and we want to transform this city in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. We know that we need your power, God. We need your instruction. We need your direction. And we ask, Father, that you would do your will among us, and we just abandon ourselves and surrender ourselves to it today. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Esther was a Jewish living in Medo-Persia during the time of the Jewish exile after Babylon had been defeated uh, what had happened was in 586 BC Israel had been defeated the, the southern kingdom of Judah which was the last remaining vestige of Israel had been defeated by the Babylonian Kingdom you fast-forward a number of years the Babylonian Kingdom is defeated by the Medo- Medo-Persian Empire and so the Jews were living in captivity under this empire Esther, through a series of incidents, had become married to the king, a man named Xerxes. And we fast forward a few more years, and we're now in a life or death situation. Mordecai was Esther's cousin, and he was more like an uncle. He was older, and he had raised her. Her parents probably were killed during the time of of the defeat of Israel, as many Jews were. And her cousin, uh, this older man, had raised her, and he would not bow down to this egomaniac, power-hungry courtesan named Haman. So Haman gets so angry, he deceives the king into drafting an order not to kill Mordecai, but to annihilate all the Jews. To annihilate all the Jews. Now we find out at the end of the story that this deception would be found out. The Jews were, were given the freedom to defend themselves and in so doing to enrich themselves by taking the property of those that they would be fighting against. This became the Jewish feast of Purim. But I want you to put yourself in Esther's shoes just for a moment. She has grown up an orphan, in exile, and now her people had been condemned to annihilation. The last queen, previous to her, she had defied a kingly order, and she had been deposed, removed from her position. Now, besides her beauty, all the women that, that had been selected to audition, so to speak, for the role of queen, Esther got her position because she knew how to, quote unquote, read the room. She got where she was because she was somebody who could follow the rules. If you turn back to Esther 2.15, she asks for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, suggested to bring into the king's presence. And since no one in the kingdom could go into the king's presence without being called, she has a decision to make. Do I continue to read the room? Remember, this, this guy hasn't, hasn't talked to her for, for 30 days. For all she knows, he's grown tired of her. He's had enough. She's, she's been forgotten. He's moved on. So do I continue to play it safe, keep my identity a secret, and hope this order won't affect me personally? Or do I risk knowing there is purpose in my being placed in this position of influence? And that's what her cousin Mordecai The man who raised her tries to make her understand. Esther, you're not where you are by accident. God has placed you where you are for his divine purposes, divine appointments, and for the distinct moments that will eternally define you. So I want you to think as we get into this this message what your Xerxes is. Right now, what is there in your life that frightens you or hinders you from accomplishing the divine purposes of God? When you think back to when you first got saved, everybody I've ever met who just gets saved, they're excited. They think, man, I'm going to just change. the." Nobody ever says when I talk to them, young person who's just come to Jesus or somebody who's just found the Lord. And I say, you know, what is it that God is laying on your heart? And they say, you know what? I just want to be a, a churchgoer. And, and I just want to kind of just, just blend in and, and not accomplish really anything. I just want to make heaven. Nobody ever says that. People are excited. They want to change the world. They want to do something radical for Jesus Christ. Over time, we seem to lose that. I'm gonna tell you why we seem to lose that. If you look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, John writes, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, don't miss that word, who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Now, whenever we, we read this, we always focus on the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. But don't miss that word accuser. The Greek word is kategoros. It's where we get the word categorized what the Bible is telling us is that's what Satan does he comes before the Lord he speaks into our ears he tries to label us in other words God calls you to do something you can't do that you're the shy one. you know what you should do you should pray that God sends somebody into their lives to really uh, impact that area because what Satan tells you is look you, you I, it's, it's great that you have a heart to do that. But you know you can't reach them. You don't have that ability. You can't really relate to their circumstance. You're not educated enough. You're not, you're not enough like them. You're not rich enough. Whatever it is, he categorizes you. He labels you. God places us in situations where we're his ambassador, his chosen instrument, and the enemy comes in and what? tries to label, categorize, intimidate, and marginalize. But eight times in that very same book, Jesus makes promises to those who overcome the things in their lives that frighten, label, confine, and intimidate us. Revelation 2.7, Jesus says, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. Revelation 2.11, He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Revelation 2.17, To him who overcomes... I will give some of the hidden manna and give him a white stone with a new name written on it known only to him who receives it. Revelation 2:26 To him who overcomes and does my will to the end I will give authority over the nations. Revelation 3:5 He who overcomes, you start seeing a pattern here, will be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. Revelation 3:12 He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Revelation 3:21 To he who overcomes I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And Revelation 21, 7 says, he who overcomes will inherit all this. I will be his God and he will be my son. See, Esther would not have known how mightily God was at work in her life. She wouldn't have seen how God can move the heart of the king any way he wishes unless and until she jumped out of her comfort zone and into the heart of the purposes of God. I, I, some of y'all old enough to remember when they had evening services in church. I know that sounds like a radical concept, but they had evening services. And preachers, God bless them, would always say, does anybody have a testimony? And you're like, oh no, Lord, Lord, please, 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 please. Because there's always that one guy, right? That one, He thinks he has been ordained to give all the testimonies in the church, And so everybody else didn't do it, but he always stood up and said, you know, back in 1960, that's how it started. And you're like, okay, he's going to catch us up from 1962 (laughs) to now. You know what I always wanted to hear? Back in last Thursday, God did this. Because it's fine that God had done something marvelous in your life and powerful in your life decades ago, but what's he doing now? It's like the guy who was trying to exhort people to to give and there was a missionary preaching and he said you know when I was eight years old I had saved up my allowance for three months to buy a little red wagon we had a missionary come to our church and I gave all of it and somebody in the back stands up and says I dare you to do it again <laughs> see it's great that you did that when you were eight years old but what have you done for God lately what has God done in you lately what has God done through you lately? Esther had to move out of that place of comfort, out of that place of confinement, out of that place where she was categorized. You're, you know, you're just the pretty face. Just be quiet. That's your job. Just be quiet and be the trophy. By the way, that's why the last queen was deposed because she wouldn't be the king's trophy wife. And so that was her job. That's her role. And now... She's wading into this political situation that is just way out of her depth. And I'm sure the enemy whispered that in her ear. See, it's one thing to do something for God occasionally. It's one thing to be salt and light occasionally. But God calls us to be that consistently. So let me give you three components of a consistently effective Christian. If you're sitting here today and you're like, man, you know, Pastor Dave, I, I, I can, can really relate. I used to be like that. I used to be fired up. And, and every now and then I'll just get excited for God, but it just doesn't seem to, to hold. I want to talk to you about how to be a consistently effective Christian. And the first, the first component, the first dynamic is that they live in the light. They don't just visit it. Some of us, we visit the light on Sundays. We visit the light when we pray. We visit the light maybe occasionally when we worship. But Ephesians 5 13, Paul says, Everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for the light makes everything visible. That's why it said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful. Listen to those words, because that speaks of intentionality. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Paul is exhorting us, place every aspect of your life into the light. This is proactive. This is intentional. This requires effort on our part. This isn't God just zapping something into us as we're, we're we're singing a song because you never know who God is going to use and when he is going to call forth that talent or that ability to be used for his purposes. So don't tell me, just to be honest with you, don't tell me it doesn't matter what you watch. Don't tell me it doesn't matter what you listen to. Don't tell me it doesn't matter how you act at home and how you act around the world. Because I have literally had unchurched people come up to me and tell me that one of the things that helped them come to Christ was because they were watching my home life. We had a next door neighbor. Ruth and I were a young married couple in our 20s. He was like an old guy. he's probably in his 40s. And um, so, so we, didn't, we didn't obviously have a lot in common. He's one of those boomers. And, uh, and so we didn't have a lot in common. We'd say Hi whatnot. Uh, and, but I learned a lesson. One day he comes to, to, to my house. Actually, I'm getting something out of the trunk of my car. And he walks up. And he says, hey, man, what's going on? And he starts talking to me. So I knew he wasn't a Christian. I knew he wasn't, wasn't going to church anywhere. But he starts talking to me. He's just glowing. He's radiating the presence of Jesus. He's talking about evangelism. And he stops right in the middle. He says, I want to I wanna thank you. And, and I'm feeling convicted. I'm feeling like, you know what, and I learned a lesson from that, and I've been a lot more intentional about this going forward, but I hadn't witnessed like I should. I hadn't invited him over like I should. I hadn't built the relationship like I should have. Uh, I I was a little bit intimidated being a young man. I was 22 years old when I got married, and, and probably I was maybe 23, 24 years old. But I learned through that because he said, I've been watching you. I've been watching you guys. We see all these negative headlines and we get upset that the world is watching us in a negative light. But we can make the most of every opportunity if the world is watching. We can show them Jesus Christ. See, we can't pick and choose what areas of our lives are off limits to God because, hey, believe me, your neighbors know when you fight. For some of, the, for some of them, that's their entertainment for the week. It's, it's only when we bring every area of our lives to Christ that we know what needs His work. How many of y'all clean in the dark? Anybody ever clean your house in the dark? That'd be stupid. You can't do it. You have to turn the lights on in order to know what needs to be cleaning. Now, some of us were afraid to turn the lights on because if, if we do and we let, let the light shine in on certain areas of our lives, we know what's going to be revealed. If you don't believe me, ask yourselves how many times you've actually not wrestled, not tried to justify but how many times have you actually gone to God and said, Lord, what do you think about this show I'm watching or this movie I'm watching? Lord, what do you think about my giving? See, some people are like, I hate, you know, preachers always talking about giving. By the way, Jesus' two favorite subjects were hell and giving. So some, some people are like, I, I love this church. Y'all never talk about hell. I'm like, you hate Jesus. Because Jesus didn't seem to shy away from subjects that made folks uncomfortable. He talked about stuff that hit us where we lived and what was really valuable to us and what our motivations were. And so when we bring those things into the light and say, God, what do you think about the way I talk? What do you think about my relationships? What do you think about my habits? See, then it's not the preacher. Then it's the Lord. Then it's the Holy Spirit. See, the Bible isn't here to make us comfortable living in the dark. God gave us his word so that we could shine its light in every place that our feet walk. How do we do this? Well, Ephesians 5, 15, and 16 says, be very careful how we live. That's consistent intentionality. Not as the unwise. That's the contrast there. Someone who lives in darkness lives carelessly. If you lived in a darkened home with no source of light, you'd never know how messy it was. But once the lights were on, you'd gain understanding on what was needed to fix things. Paul says the days are evil, meaning you can't count on time to be your friend. And then Ephesians 5 says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I was sharing with somebody just before church this morning about just patterns of thinking. We were talking about patterns of thinking, and sometimes we can get ingrained these negative patterns of thinking. There's a theological word, it's called the noetic effect of sin, n-o-e-t-i-c, noetic. And, and what it means is when we fell into sin, our brains were affected as the rest of us were. And that's why Romans says, what be renewed in the thinking of your minds. We have to, we have to change the way we think. So the first dynamic, the first component is to proactively, intentionally say, God, I am gonna bring every area of my life into the light. The second component is that they live, the spiritually ready Christian recognizes and reacts to opportunities. So the first is proactive, what I need to do. The second is reactive. How do I respond to what the Lord is doing? The man or woman of God who consistently walks in the will of God will experience the joy of the Lord. You know this. You know this from the relationships you have is that the men and women in your life that are most consistently joyful are the ones who are walking consistently in the will of God. They bear fruit and they see things that other people don't naturally see. And that's what Paul is calling us to do. Everything exposed to the light becomes what? Visible. I think of Caleb in Numbers 15. He and Joshua are are sent with ten other men to spy out the land, the promised land. And they're the only two of the 12 who saw the purposes of God in what seemed like a bleak situation. All 12 of them saw the size and the strength of the enemy. Well, that's, that shouldn't have been surprising. It's a good land. That's why God is bringing them to it. People want to live there. And so there have been a lot of people move in and they go into the promised land and they say, you know, this is, gonna be, this is not going to be easy to get them out. Now, all 12 saw the size and strength of the enemy. They saw the fortified cities, the weapons that would be used against them. But only two saw that God had placed them in that situation to show the nations that they served a God who was mightier than any man, any nation, or any circumstance. Caleb and Joshua say, look, God will make it happen. I know that there are things in your life, maybe it's shyness, Maybe it's fear, maybe it's intimidation, maybe you've allowed the enemy to categorize and label you to the point where you think, you know what, I'll just, I'll just get by, I'll just worship. Maybe I'll give and maybe I'll, maybe I'll serve a little bit, but, but we don't have that life-changing attitude anymore. We don't have that, like we talked about last week, that fire of walking, did not our hearts burn within us when we walked along with him in the road? See, Caleb and Joshua are there. The other people are saying, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And I ran the math a, a number of years ago, and I think that meant that the people looked about 174 feet tall. Right? So that, that, it's ridiculous, but I promise you that if you listen to God, He will call you to something that will intimidate your flesh. He will call you to something where you have, that's why Paul said, I beat my body and make it my slave there was a there was an old school preacher probably in the early 1900s his name was J.W. Buckaloo and he was he was doing like brush arbor and tent revivals and one day he passed by a, a, a bakery and his mouth started to water and he smacks himself in the face and says behave yourself mouth and you'll get some bread and cheese later and I'm like that guy takes that verse literally that's I will be my body, but he's basically telling his flesh, you ain't running the show. See, that's what fasting does. That's what prayer does. That's what giving does. That's why the Bible says, discipline yourself unto godliness. The godliness, it isn't, isn't the discipline, but it's the means to the godliness, right? A lot of folk pray. A lot of folk will read scripture and not become godly. But if you want to be godly, you are not going to do it without prayer. You are not going to do it without sacrifice. You are not going to do it without releasing your stuff, your time, your treasure, your talent. You have to do that. Because if you want to be ready, when God taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I want to put you in the game, I want to use you, you have got to discipline yourself unto godliness. My wife and I, when we got married, we just started praying together about nine o'clock. And then our daughter came along and so she was in the baby carrier beside us. To this day, nine o'clock at night, my whole family, it, I, don't, I don't care if, if my, my daughter who's over 30, if she's visiting, it's prayer time. It's prayer time because that has become a habit. And you know what happens? I remember Ruth and I, we were out on date night and, and we, we saw a family crossing the street and it was obvious the little girl had cancer. We've seen, you know, when we're out on, driving around and maybe there's a terrible accident, it is reflexive. We'll just grab hands, let's pray, let's pray. You discipline yourself. So that you're ready and you're able to be responsive. You can recognize and react when God says, I have a need for you. Will you recognize those moments when you see them? The time when God wants to, to move to show himself and you say yes to him at that moment. See, some, some Christians will come and say, Pastor I just I just can't seem to find the joy of the Lord in my walk anymore. I'm saying, well, when's the last time that God moved through you to bless somebody else? I had a young man come up to me this morning. I don't even know if he's still here. He, might, he was here for the 9 a.m. service. Probably 20, 25 years old, just in tears. He said, Pastor, I was one of those people. I just saw things. This, this universe was the way it is. And this in the last couple of weeks, God has just broken me down and just showed, revealed himself to me. And, I, and just, I just told him, I said, I'll be praying for you, man, because God is laying hold of you to be a part of whatever he wants to do. I'm seeing that. I recognize that God has brought us across the country and God is is just joining us together as a family because He wants to do something awesome. God does not want to do church as usual at the Bridge Church. He's got enough churches that are just content doing just just church as usual to say to the Bridge Church, I'm going to call you to do the same. He is looking, His his Spirit is moving across the earth and He's looking for people. I, I went into a little church that had been a strong church, but it was 90% military and the base closed. They're running 14 people. And one of the things that I said when I got there was, look, I think we're about humble enough for God to use now. <laughs> we're, we're, we're about, because nobody thought, this church is about to close. The former pastor told me the only thing that church needs is a wrecking ball. Six layers of shingles on the roof. Crazy stuff we saw all over the place. We had a drop ceiling that dropped. On us and fell on us. We we, we had we had no floor. I'm gonna show a video of one of these. We had no floor in the kids. I had a little little. My son it's his birthday today. He was about about two or three years old and and literally no flo- no floor. There was just floor joists that he could have just fallen through and into the ground. There were, no, there were no toilets in the bathroom. I would think those would be essential, right? With we, we, COVID, and we had essential things, right? I think toilet in a bathroom would be essential. So we had to, we had to use the one in the sanctuary. And, and it was just the church was falling apart. And yet God used that church to impact that community to the point where a few years later, I got called in the principal's office. And the principal and the superintendent of school said, we need you to ask your students to tone it down. That's like saying, sick them to a pit bull. <laughs> we... <laughs> We're just getting your attention now. Look, I'm I'm a son of educators. My dad was was a dean of faculty at a a very prestigious school in Europe. My mom was an educator. She was a supervisor for the Broward County School System. My brother was uh, to this day works at the Pentagon. He was a command sergeant major in the in the 101st. Uh, And my younger brother is the lead counsel for employment law for the Attorney General of the State of Florida. I grew up in an academic household. I could sympathize with these people, but at the same time, I wanted them to understand that look, I want my my students to cooperate. We don't want to create a disruptive attitude, but don't ask me to get in between what God is doing and the people that God is trying to affect. And it leads me to the third point, and that is people who are spiritually ready will fulfill God's purposes. I I mentioned I was going to jump back to Esther, Esther 4.15. Esther sends this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So we need more Christians that have this, look, I am gonna fulfill, it's like the three Hebrew young men. King, I'm not bound to your idol. My God can deliver me, but if he doesn't, I still am not bound to your idol. Whatever happens, happens. But God has brought me to this place of divine intersection to fulfill his will. I don't expect you to remember anything I said within three weeks, but I want you to remember this video clip that I'm going to show you right here. Who's next? Who's next? Who told you that the purposes of God would would be easy? Who who told you that it would just happen? Who told you that that sin that defines you would just go away or or that your own will would, would just dissipate or that your flesh would just say to the Holy Spirit, have your way in me? Even with all the anointing on Paul's life, he says, I strenuously contend with all the energy of Christ that works so powerfully in me. Church, people who don't feel they have a purpose are usually hiding from it because they believe in their own insignificance. Or they want to believe they have a purpose, but then they want it to align with their plan and their comfort and their wants. And what happens is the tension builds until we either settle for treading water and accomplishing nothing, or we move out and we face our fear. I want to lay one more scripture on you before we get ready to worship. Hebrews 12 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. That's what that coach was doing. That's what all those players were doing as they began to get excited and draw near. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't back down. Do you know right now, there is a great cloud of witnesses in heaven, many of which worshiped in this building. Some of them worshiped as part of this congregation. And they're saying, move into God's purposes. Move to that next level that I know you have in you and that God is speaking into your life. What God wants to know is, will you run that race what with perseverance? Perseverance means I push through. I push through my fear. I push through that label. I push through that categorization. Will you give him your very best? That church I took in in, in that little church that had been a military church, uh, I took that church, I left that church in 2004 and I took a, a, a big pay cut and I came to a church running that was, that was running about 30 or 40 on a Sunday morning. But I knew that God had brought me there for such a time as that. I actually turned that church down three times and God still kept putting it before me. And when I left that church, it had grown to almost 400, God called me to take a church of 30 or 40 and make less than half what I was making. And in 2017, when that church was finally able to pay a full-time salary, where I was near family, it was warm and, and, and I could walk to the beach in South Florida. God called me to go to Mount Vernon, Illinois, to an abandoned church in a place where I didn't know a soul and wasn't guaranteed anything in salary. Why did I do that? Am I crazy? No. I did that because there is nothing that is worth more to me than accomplishing God's purposes. I hope when I leave this earth, they say to me, he's a nice guy. If they say that, it means that there's been some change in me from when I was young. So, so that helps. <laughs> I hope they say he loved to worship. He loved the word. But what I really hope is people said they've chased the purposes of God in every season of his life. That's what I want my epitaph to be. Right now, in this moment, the Bridge Church needs visionaries who will purify themselves from everything that hinders, who will look at the fields white unto harvest, who will rise up and elevate to the greater work that God is calling us to. God is not calling you to stagnation. God will never say to anybody in this room, just stay right where you are spiritually and hang out until you take your last breath. He'll never say that to you. If you hear that voice, that's the accuser. That's the categorizer. That's the one telling you you can't do it. We need some folk who will reject the return to Egypt mentality of playing it safe and who will run with abandon into God's promised land and fulfill God's purposes, who are ready for the opportunities that will define who you are and the legacy of your life. Look, there are some fairly significant opportunities I can think of right in front of me. I can't hardly go a day without somebody coming up to me and say, Pastor, can we do this? Can we move into this? And you know what? It's not a question of finances or numbers or anything. It's a question of are we really, are we really ready to be obedient to God no matter what? That's what God is at. God is not asking us to reach the 30 or the 50. God is saying, will you be, a, when I speak to you, when I draw you, when I call you, will you be obedient? See, I doubt Esther would have asked for the situation she was in. I doubt she would have seen it coming. Caleb was waiting and longing for his for 40 years, but that's not the issue. The issue is if God were to open your eyes, if the Holy Spirit were to speak into your life, to where you can build his kingdom, where you can elevate, will you be ready for it? So I want to ask you as we get ready for worship, as the praise team comes, if you're hungry, and I don't mean a kind of, yeah, I guess so, but really hungry... To be a difference maker in God's economy I'm gonna open up this altar I want to pray with you if you're ready to tell Jesus Jesus I am done giving you less than my very best I am here from this moment on to make a difference I didn't come to be celebrated I don't want cheerleaders I want teammates that's what I'm looking for in the bridge church who will ask the Lord God Why have you placed me where you have, among who you have, and given me what you've given? God, show me, open my eyes, so that I can fulfill your purpose in this new season of my walk with Jesus. And then to move in that purpose with consistent intentionality. Watch what He does with your life. Will you stand with me? God, we just want to create an atmosphere of yieldedness to You. Holy Spirit, I know that You're speaking to people in this this room, maybe to people online. Father God, show me, open my eyes to what You have for me. I want to be a better father, a better husband, a better pastor. I want to be a better servant, but most of all, I want to be more like Jesus. Father, you're not done with me yet. We sang that in worship, and it's absolutely true. You're not finished. You know that there is further that I can go. And thank you, God, that you'll push us, that you'll convict us, that you'll challenge us. Lord, right now, all we can do is listen and yield to you. I want to pray with somebody who's ready to listen to God is ready to give him everything that hinders him and ready to obey if he speaks. We worship you.